0: All right, today we are starting a new sermon series. You can see I've got a prop, but I'm not gonna bring it out quite yet. I just don't know where to put it. So we're gonna be doing a uh, sermon series that I'm calling um, Healing Communities and Mental Health. It's one actually Caroline has been advocating for the last year. She's like, we really need to kind of hit this again. So I'm very excited about it um, because I think uh, we've been pretty heavy into some like really texty and historical stuff. And so this is a little bit different. So I'm gonna start us out today by just talking a little bit about what conditions we try to cultivate as a faith community to help make our space um, safe and healthy, or as safe and healthy as we are able. Next week, Pastor Caroline and I are going to do some co-preaching. We're gonna do that to um, talk a little bit about destigmatizing how we talk about mental health. I know we did this several years ago with a little bit of a different angle at that time. Um, but we're going to be hitting some different aspects of trying to just model openly about how we talk about different things that we've experienced in our own mental health journeys, talking about what's been beneficial for us, hit on some of those, um, those areas that can be a little trickier to talk about, like what's the difference between like some mental health symptoms like psychosis and hearing God and like how do those things intersect and have there been people who have looked at that and talked about that and thought about it, and there are, and so some of that, Um, I think will be really interesting. When we did it a few years ago, I think it was really helpful for people. The following Sunday after that, my wife, Rachel, who is a licensed clinical therapist, is going to be talking about resilience. So I'm really excited about that. She wanted me to be very clear with the congregation that she's not being paid for that. She said, it's not nepotism. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think it's, a, I think she's preached once in nine years and she is a speaker in her own right and her, one of her specialties is the intersection of faith and resilience. She wrote a book on it. So I think that'll be something that we'll be able to benefit from some of the work that she's done. We're gone over Memorial weekend, we'll be up north, but our fearless board president, Lisa Ruby, is going to preach, and I don't know if it'll be about mental health and healing communities, but it might be. So I thought I'd was like, I trust her to do whatever she's gonna do, and then when we get back, I'll wrap up for two or three weeks, depending, um, talking about how things like faith practices can help us with like psychological flexibility, with combating shame, and some different topics like that. And so my hope is that this series is a little bit more on the practical side because we have been so deep into, like, ancient history the last few months. And I also think it will help us to um, articulate some of the aspects of our church that I think we don't always state out loud, right? And I think the fact that we exist and the way that we exist is in part to create healthy space where people can get the benefits that are associated with being parts of faith communities. Right, so one of the questions that my wife asked after she came out was, is church even good for me? Because there's all these health benefits associated with being part of church community. so it's a really good question, because she was coming from a homophobic church space that had caused her a lot of anguish. And so in her grad thesis that was eventually published as a book, the answer that she came to was, yes, it's good for you, so long as you're in a space where no part of you is stigmatized. If a part of you is stigmatized in that space, then the health benefits that you would normally gain from being part of a church become negative. Higher thoughts of suicidality, depression, anxiety, all of those things. So Reverend John Swinton, who's a professor of pastoral care at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, he spent a lot of his early career as a nurse working with people who experienced different mental health challenges. Reminds me a little bit of Ken. Ken also spent his early career as a, a nurse working with people with mental health symptoms. Um, He says this, he says, stigma is one of the most destructive aspects of living with unconventional mental health experiences and one of the most painful experiences that people have to endure. And stigma occurs when a person is reduced from being a whole to being a mere part, from being a fully human being to being the sum of a single part. So this is where I'm going to bring out my, my lovely color wheel. So the picture that kept coming to my mind, I don't know if you can see this very well online, those of you on Zoom, it's just a normal color wheel that you might see in an art class. And this was the analogy that just coming, uh, kept coming to me, and I thought, you know, how do I kind of talk about how all of these different parts, right, We're made up of all of these different aspects of us. And they're not set. Right? They change, and they grow, and they're in flux over time. I'm sure there's things that were true of you as a child that are no longer true for you now. Um, but you know, if we're thinking about this as kind of a sort of representation of who we are in a single moment, this might be helpful. Right? And so with this, if this were me, like one small square here might say gay. Right? And it's just one small bit of a much larger picture. And it's a true piece, but I'm not just that. Right? Some people will be like, oh yeah, the gay pastor. I don't mind if people identify me as gay because it usually indicates safety to people, but I'm also not like just the gay pastor. Before that it was you know, the woman pastor. And I hope that there are all of these other parts of me that are also true. I always like, I'm a pastor who happens to be gay, but I also, you know, I've got a little bit of PTSD, maybe that's here from that ordeal that you know, some of us went through 10 years ago. I'm also like, I hope, a really good auntie. I get a lot of joy out of that. Square might be I enjoy you know, tennis. Another square might be I inexplicably love terrible movies like Cocaine Bear. <laughs> and the part of me that's a pastor is like, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> and I did say to Rachel, I was like, I don't there might be some youth in here. She's like, well be clear that you're not advocating cocaine use, I am not. <laughs> But a bear, <laughs> I mean, that's a funny premise. That's a great movie, right? So, you know, we're all complex or simple, <laughs> you know, mixtures of people. But mental health challenges, I tend to see those as just another feature. You know, it's just it's one more aspect of who we are. And, you know, sometimes um, one particular symptom, let me put this over here. You might think of, like, one of those squares as sort of ballooning up a little bit and kind of magnifying. And there are times when those can just magnify to the point where they're sort of crowding out some of these other squares that are parts of who you are. So like there's times in my life when I've experienced heightened anxiety to the point where it's hard for me to access some of these other parts of myself that I enjoy and want to be able to access, right? And so when that happens, I might do things like talk to my therapist who is an amazing therapist or um, talk to my doctor and get medications, which I'm not currently on now, but have been at different times in my life when that's been helpful, do some other things that might help me. And so like Caroline and I are gonna talk a little more at length about some of those sort of regimens that we do to help ourselves stay healthy. But we do that so that we can manage symptoms, right? I do that so I can manage my anxiety so that I and the people around me, and especially the woman who lives with me, who I love, can better experience the whole array of Emily color, right? Yeah, Rachel laughed at that one. (laughs) Right, so this question, is church good for me? Yes, if you're not stigmatized and if you're not just reduced to one or two bits of yourself. There are also two additional ifs that I want to mention. Uh, Dr. Dan Blazer, who's at Duke University and who studies these things, he adds that it's also not healthy to be parts of spaces that ascribe wholeheartedly It's what he calls positive psychology, meaning spaces where you feel like you have to put on a smile and you have to put on a face, right? And you have to have like this fake, like, I'm fine, everything's fine. And you show up with your polished, you know, happy family and pretend like everything is okay, especially if it isn't. Um, We also say, on the other side of that, if we're listening to somebody who's maybe saying that they're going through a rough patch and they're being a little more vulnerable, we don't want to respond to people with like, oh, I'm sure everything's going to be fine, right? It's going to be okay. Because it might not be. Right? And it's generally more helpful to say something like, I'm really sorry things are hard right now. Right? I've been thinking about you. You're not alone. Maybe I've experienced some things like that too. I can relate to that. I felt that way at times. And so it's helpful to have the solidarity in the suffering rather than trying to make things okay. And I honestly, I think our church does this pretty well. I think the culture of our church was birthed in a time when a lot of people were not okay. And so we kind of established some of that norm, but I think that's worth naming, that we can kind of hold these negative emotions and not have to make them okay. Related to that, a third way that faith communities can be harmful is if they have a norm of insisting that suffering is from God sent to teach us something. Right, and that generally is not helpful for people because sometimes suffering is just suffering and there is no good answer to why, no matter what somebody tries to sell you. Right, sometimes suffering just is. And I wanted to add a little bit of nuance to that. I do think that sometimes it can be helpful to take experiences of suffering and reframe them to give them some meaning. And that that can be empowering for some people in certain situations and can help with their healing process, even though it's perfectly okay to not make meaning of it. But I wanted to give an example because I thought that sounds a little bit um, abstract. And so I thought maybe if you're in recovery and... Maybe you notice that you've been able to deal with some things um, within the context of the recovery community that you might not have been able to address in the same way if you hadn't been in recovery. That doesn't mean that your pain hasn't been real on that journey, and it doesn't mean that God set you up on that journey in order to suffer to get you there, but more like that God was able to help bring something good out of the difficulties that you've faced. Does that make sense? Is that like God can make good for those who love them, and I think that that can be helpful. I've experienced that with this faith community, right? Some terrible things happen, but the fact that we exist and how we exist has been healing to me and I think many of the other queer people and allies as well. So we wanna be really deliberate about creating this healthy emotional space so that church is healthy for us and for the people that we care about here. Because it's understood that being part of religious communities when you're not stigmatized when a range of emotion is welcome, including our sadness and our anger and our grief. Um, But that's correlated with all kinds of health benefits. Helps us cope better with stress. Um, People tend to experience a greater sense of well-being and be able to access hope a little more easily. Uh, Distressing mental health symptoms can lessen for some people. People who go to like church, synagogue, mosque, temple, et cetera, have stronger immune systems, lower blood pressure, better heart functionality, and they live longer, right? This stuff is like quantifiable. And that can be true of other strong community groups as well. It's not just faith communities, but I would say in our culture that there are a few that have sort of that decades-long kind of association that people often have with their faith communities. Now, I promise I'm not trying to do like an ad for why you should go to church. It's just, it's an honest question and assessment that like I've had to ask myself, my wife had to ask herself, and probably many of you have had to ask yourselves. Right, is church good for me and why do we do church? And one of the reasons that I keep doing it is in part because I believe it contributes to community healing and to the well-being of a lot of people. Right, and that that's um, helpful to name and to acknowledge the kind of church I think that we're trying to be together and why. And I think we don't do this perfectly because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect and we're all humans here, but that's, that's sort of the stated goal. Um, It's to create this space where we can be who we are without having to subscribe to fake happiness or to pretend like part of us doesn't exist or to sign our names on a list of things that we might not actually believe in order to belong. And so I'm far more concerned with the fact that we would have safe space that's built around these shared stories and rituals and values that help us in being well in a holistic sense. And that includes being spiritually well. That means having a healthy view of God and having emotional space in that relationship with the divine, and that's part of holistic health. So I've got a few other things here that can help create um, this space to be a more healing community. The first thing that we can do together is we can make it a place where we can tell our stories and be known and accepted and supported, All right, So it's a place where we can build relationships, where we can share those stories with the people who have earned the right to hear them and vice versa, All right? With people who have earned the right to hear them. And I think that's an important point in a sermon uh, series that's going to be dealing or focused a little bit more on mental health, right? We want to destigmatize mental health challenges, and Caroline and I are going to talk very openly next week. But I think it's important to say you don't have to talk openly about your own mental health challenges if you don't want to or if you don't feel safe to do that. Caroline and I have a lot of equity with a lot of you that's been built over many, many years she and I have a lot of trust built with each other. We feel really secure in our belonging as leaders in this space. And so we're not like, trying to create a space in doing this where like, everybody feels like they need to tell everybody about themselves like, immediately. I think that kind of can create a false intimacy. But what we're trying to do is just make room for um, like safe norms to exist in the community where relationships can develop, where you can share if you want once you've built those relationships. And we also want you to just know that like, it's always appropriate to talk with um, sort of the pastoral staff about mental health challenges. And we will not be phased by anything, right? There's nothing that is going to throw us or make us think any less of you. So we make space for complicated stories and for nuance and stories that are different than our own. The second thing that we can do is we can use some of our shared stories from Scripture um, to talk about mental health and practices that can be helpful for us as a community. Now, I think we always have to be a little bit cautious when we do that, right? Because the frameworks that we use to talk about mental health symptoms are not the frameworks that were used back then. And obviously, we couldn't and wouldn't diagnose like a Bible character from thousands of years in the future. But you know, mental health challenges have always existed, and so I think sometimes elements of that peek out from the stories in ways that can sometimes be helpful if we can find ourselves there. So for example, like 10 years ago, um, you know, when we were going through all of our stuff and I was coming out and they were creating all of these rules around whether or not you could be gay, all the stuff, um, I was finding some deep resonance in the story of Joseph. Not Joseph, Jesus' dad, but Joseph, like the amazing technicolor dreamcoat, Joseph. And I was reading through his story, and I could see elements of PTSD in that character. And so that was really validating for me. And I would say also with the prophet Jeremiah When I was in my early 20s and I was experiencing some depression, I kind of loved the book of Ecclesiastes because, oh, God, I still love that book. Like, the writer is just constantly like, everything is meaningless, meaningless. It's all vapor. Why are we even here? And there's just something about that, like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm tailing Gen X or something, but something about, like, the utter angst of that author that just made me feel a lot less alone at that time in my life when I was feeling um, those sorts of emotions. And the fact that things like Ecclesiastes and Lamentations and parts of the Psalms are allowed to exist and they're like kept in our sacred text and passed along, I think gives us permission to have this whole range of emotions with the divine, with ourselves, with each other. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few weeks. But I think finding ourselves in the text, even when it's not explicit, can be really validating. Just to know that like, oh yeah, people have experienced this sort of thing for like, you know, forever since we walked out of caves or whatever. The third thing is, is that faith communities can help us develop some psychological flexibility and empathy, right? So psychological flexibility It's just our ability to cope with and accept and adjust to different uh, difficult situations. So another way that I think about that is not getting stuck in thinking there's only one way to look at something. It's having the ability to see things from multiple angles and then reframe those things to try and make choices that align with our values. Like kind of helping fully integrate who we are. And so the way I see that playing out with faith practices is how we approach our scriptures and our stories. And I think that when we allow for those multiple viewpoints, it can teach us to allow for flexibility and interpretation and approaches and help us to just give ourselves permission to think in different ways and to just recognize that there's limits to what we can know and that other people might have a different point of view that might be helpful to us. And with empathy, I think we can look at Bible stories from the points of view of characters that are maybe sometimes, like, they get to be known as the villains, right, in Sunday school. I kind of have, like, in my pocket, I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to do a sermon series that's like, what about, like, King Saul's perspective or Jezebel or Judas? Like, that might be kind of a fun one to do and think through what might have been going on with them. And the last thing we can do is we can help recognize that systemic issues also Uh, contribute to mental health challenges that many of us are facing in our culture right now. And I think that naming those things can also be validating. Poverty, discrimination, inequality, all of those things have significant impact on our mental health. Um, There's growing evidence that climate change and the fear of what that's going to mean for the future is causing a significant rise in anxiety, especially um, in younger people who are going to have to be dealing with the most severe consequences of that. I would say more recently, The people I've been talking to, there's some like real anxiety about economic distress, about AI, you know, and some of the consequences of that. And those aren't irrational. They're actually just really big things that are helpful to name. And so I think that knowing that systemic issues uh, affect us to these varying degrees is one of the reasons that we light our candles every week. Right, we started that early on in the pandemic just to be able to sort of process that and name that together. um, The effects of COVID, but also if you remember at that time there were a lot of high profile like police brutality going on a resurgence of Black Lives Matter protesting. Many of us were out there also protesting. And so we wanted to keep that so that we were naming that together. And we carried that on because I think it can be helpful to just recognize that maybe other people also have feelings about these things too. And you might not about various things that we pray about, but they're things that a lot of people are maybe also carrying to some degree. And so we don't light the candles to like throw those things onto God and say, okay, God, here's that. We don't, I don't want to think about it anymore, right? It's not just sort of dumping it, um, but it's so that we know that other people are also standing with us and also feeling that impact, right? Because systemic issues are overwhelming by nature. And I think it can, it can be easy to feel helpless if we feel alone, but we can remind ourselves that we're not alone and that we stand together in a community of people who care and who believe that there's a God who cares and who hears our lament and who is angry and sad and grieving with us and that we don't have to carry these things or address these kinds of systemic issues by ourselves because we can't do that. Right, and so as Christians, we believe in the importance of social justice and the idea of repairing the world. And so it's not just naming the things here, but also being able to respond together to try and make communities healthier and safer and better places for everyone to live. And obviously, we can't respond to everything. That would be exhausting. But we can respond to the things where we feel like that we can be of most service, and that lets us put some collective action behind addressing some of these root causes of mental health challenges where we can create a more equitable society where people have access to the resources and the support that they need to thrive. Right, we're not going to save the world and we are definitely not going to solve it all. I have an allergy to churches with grandiose visions after many, many years of seeing that. But I think it's meaningful to not feel powerless in the face of these large scale injustices. Right, and the idea that we can just do what we can together and that that's helpful to us. Um, as we seek to thrive and to create a safe and thriving community. So with that, we're just going to take about a minute of just quiet meditation. People, babies, kids make noise, not worried about a little noise. I thought as we we kind of created a framework for where we're going to be going and some things we're going to be talking about, just make some space for the Holy Spirit to bring some comfort or um, space to lay anything that you're concerned about before God. I'll let you know when that time is up. Come Holy Spirit. creator, I know many of us coming here are are carrying some wounds from some other faith communities and are maybe tired, a little weary, a little wary, rightfully so. Others of us um, are here with a heart to just create this kind of safe and healing community where all of us can come in and to start develop this sense of safety before both you and um, in, in relation to other people. And so I ask By your power, that you would help us to be that kind of healing community, that we would treat each other with respect, that we would have wisdom in how we are interacting with each other on an emotional level, that we would um, be able to come into a better understanding of who you are, of your gentleness and of your kindness, and of the amount of space that you give us in relationship to you. And that that would also help to bring some healing and some liberation into parts of us that have experienced hurt and harm. So we ask that you would um, be with us in this journey, and um, we just we thank you for for the opportunity to be together to create this space. Amen.